the work that you're doing with the organization, with the book, giving people the resources to bring the superpower of their sensitivity into a mainstream world and allowing them to integrate it and live a fuller life. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think Amazing. sensitive people just out of the gate have a lot of advantages, but you know, every every trade, it comes with its, its ups and its downs and there mm-hmm. are as well. So mm-hmm. learning how to not just manage that overstimulation when it happens, but also how to build the space into your life so that you're not mm-hmm. getting overstimulated in the first place. And mm-hmm. then if mm-hmm. you start to get overstimulated, how do I handle that? How do I mm-hmm. um, come back down and give myself the mental space I need? Because the brain is going to keep doing that deep processing, no matter how much we're throwing at it. public speaker and author, creator of the Beyond Intention Paradigm. Here is your host, Daniel Mangena. Hello, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Dan Mangena. A little bit flustered because there was a breakdown on the roads today. I was speeding back within the speed limits to meet my, uh, my guest for today, Andre. Uh, looking forward to finding out more about him, the, 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 the book that he's bringing out into the world, all sorts of wonderful things. Uh, guys, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you head over to dreamwithdan.com. Uh, sign up to something so you can get emails so you can find out when we're doing really cool stuff. Right, I'm going to stop waffling and warbling. I'm going to let Andre introduce himself. I'm going to get to know him and you guys get to listen in. So Andre, please let the audience and me know who you are and what it is you do in the world. Good sir. Will do. Well, it's good to be here, Daniel. Um, so I'm Andre Solo. I am the co-founder of Sensitive Refuge, which is the world's largest website for sensitive people and the co-author with Jen Graneman of the new book, Sensitive, the power, sorry, Sensitive, the hidden power of the highly sensitive person in a loud, fast, too much world, which comes out February 28th. Fabulous. And we'll make sure we'll pop some links in the show notes. So guys, if you're listening to this before February 28th, which is highly possible, make sure that you grab the pre-order. And if you listen to this after February 28th, the link will have been updated. So it won't be pre-order, it'll be the actual link. So you can go and get the thing. Make sure you read it. And uh, um, and share your thoughts. Let Andre and the crew know like what you guys are what you guys are digging. Uh, I want to find out more about this. Uh, this was actually a topic. I was just at a conference last week, and one of the things that came up was the speed of the world right now. Uh, we're listening to content at double speed. We're looking for bite size, and we're moving on to the next thing. Um, speed is one thing. Sensitivity feels like another. How do those tie in in terms of the work that you guys are doing in the world? That's a great question. So I think for starters, let's just talk about what it means to be sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. So I think when we hear the word sensitive, we often think of like being weak or fragile or someone who's overreacting. And that's just not what sensitive means. Uh, when we talk about sensitivity as a personality trait, uh, what we mean is um, if you're sensitive, you take in more information from your surroundings and you do more with it. Mm. are actually wired at a brain level to process all information more deeply. And that includes, you know, sensory information, like noticing the texture of a fabric against your skin or picking up those subtle notes of apricot in a nice white wine. Mm-hmm. But it also includes emotional information, mm. right? So that little sort of half smile that just flashed across someone's face right before they managed to hide it. If you're sort of processing information more, you'll notice that and you'll kind of start to think, Wait, what was the meaning of that? And get a hunch as to what that person might be really thinking. Um, mm. so people tend to be both, both physically and emotionally more sensitive, more aware of their surroundings. And because they're doing that deep processing, 
They tend to be deep thinkers, as well as feeling very strongly with a high level of empathy, high level of creativity, and a high level of attunement to the world around us. I love that because it, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about, about empathy because the the, the, the the phrase that's coming to mind now is people who uh, refer to themselves as being empaths or empath- empathic, feeling more of what's going on. I know with the craziness that's been happening on planet Earth over the past few years, people who do uh, uh, um, identify as being more empathic have felt a lot more heaviness. Of, of, and I love the way that this is really grounding this. And I love this connection, actually, because it's grounding it and saying, well, your brain is processing more information, regardless of whether you're picking it up with, with ESP, your brain still has to process that information and your nervous system has to hold that information. And if you're not trained in order to manage that sensory input, you may have been more partial to burnout, I'm sure, uh, sensory overload, inability to function. I love it, I love it, I love it. Um, are you a more sensitive person, Andre? Is that where this journey began? It is. Yeah, this is a topic that's been near and dear to my heart for a very long time. Uh, So I am. I'm a sensitive person. Uh, Roughly one in three people, it's actually 30% of people, score high for sensitivity. Uh, That's true for both men and women. Um, But a lot of us don't realize that we're sensitive people. And that was always me. I remember being a a little kid and starting, you know, school my first year of kindergarten. Um, I I was perfectly fine as a student. You know, I behaved in class, everything like that. I could make friends. But when it came time for recess, time to go outside, suddenly all these other kids, hundreds of kids from different classes are screaming, running around. You know, there's balls flying this way and that. There's laughter. There's people getting into arguments. It became so overstimulating uh, that I would actually just run away from recess and just like have to go hide. And I found this uh, perfect hiding spot, I thought, which was a nearby storm sewer opening. Uh, So I would just go at the start of recess and hide in there. And it was Mm -hmm. nice and quiet and peaceful. And I can kind of like de-stimulate from, from class. And then when I heard the bell, I'd come out and go back to class. Like, no problem. Mm-hmm. The teachers found out where I was hiding and that caused a big stir. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, for a long time, I, I didn't understand my sensitivity and why I would get overstimulated like that. And I really thought there was something wrong with me, right? Because mm-hmm. the message get is that you, you shouldn't uh, be sensitive. Um, and it really wasn't until I started as an adult reading the research on sensitivity as a personality trait that I began to realize, oh, this is me. And this mm. explains a lot. And it's a strength. Like it's, it's a trait that's tied to many strengths. So that, mm. that processing means you're able to be uh, make connections that other people might not make, notice details that other people miss. And it is linked to giftedness as well as um, innovation. And I'm, as you were just mentioning that story, I'm actually wondering how many people uh, are having a less full experience of life because they don't have the tools and the resources to manage that incoming stimuli. And so they do end up hiding away and maybe not sharing the gift with the world, maybe not living out their purpose, maybe not fulfilling their potential and stepping into the fullness of who they are because they don't know how to deal. I'm even thinking with me with my Asperger's until I was diagnosed and then got the resources and tools to deal with my Asperger's in the mainstream world. I was dealing with high levels of, 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 of social anxiety and general anxiety that were crippling. And once those resources came into play, I was able to, it's not that I was any less autistic. It's just that, oh, now I can manage this. And I'm, I'm, it just brings me over to what you're talking about with, with sensitivity. Yeah. Is the work that you're doing with the organization, with the book, giving people the resources to bring the superpower of their sensitivity into a mainstream world 
and allowing them to integrate it and live a fuller life. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think Amazing. sensitive people just out of the gate have a lot of advantages. But you know, every every trade it comes with its its ups and its downs, and there mm-hmm. are jobs as well. So mm-hmm. learning how to not just manage that overstimulation when it happens, but also how to build the space into your life so that you're not mm. getting overstimulated in the first place. And mm-hmm, then if mm-hmm. you start to get overstimulated, how do I handle that? How do I mm-hmm. um, come back down and give myself the mental space I need? Because the brain is going to keep doing that deep processing, no matter how much we're throwing at it, right? Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. Really what you said earlier about the world being a faster place and, and just kind of the rush, the pace of things we're expected to do, that is true as part of this long, ongoing trend. Um, in 1903, this early sociologist, Georg Simmel, was invited to be a lecturer. He was invited to come give actually a public talk at sort of this huge convention that the um, the city of Dresden in Germany was throwing. And you have to think of 1903 was a time when streetcars were going down the street and they were inventing the phonograph and early electric lights were being put up in certain places. And you could go and, and see a movie at, at a little film house, right? All these new inventions were coming out and things were being automated and, and mechanized. And the cities of Europe and the United States were just teeming and more people coming there with more going on, with more to do, with louder, loud, loud sounds and brighter lights. Uh, just this kind of sensory place at the dawn of of the new century. Um, and the purpose of the convention was to celebrate progress. And they invited Georg Simmel to speak. And he just threw out the script. And he goes up to the podium and starts talking about the human soul, right? And how the human mind, it, it, there's a part of it that can keep up with this mad pace of modern life. There's a part of us that's driven by achievement. And sure, if you give us another deadline, one more thing to do, we can we can force ourselves. We can keep up if we really have to for a while. But the, another part of ourselves, what, what I would call the sensitive part of ourselves, right, um, is, is just it can't. It, there's not, not enough, um, as Simmel put it, not enough mental energy to respond to all of those stimuli. And you begin to not only get fatigued and overstimulated, but as he saw it, you start to become separated from the people around you, right? If you have so much going on up here, you're so uh, burnt out or overstimulated uh, that how are you going to pay attention to just the people around you? How do you make time for the relationships in your life? How do you make time for the things that matter? And he saw this as sort of like this path of, yeah, the price of progress might be unless we can slow things down a little bit. Uh, that the pace of our lives will start to just burn us out one by one. And he was mm-hmm. not only largely right in his own time, but if you think of the difference between now and 1903, right? Imagine if he <laughs> was handed an iPhone. Oh, God. <laughs> I was just thinking that. And finding out that <laughs> end when you leave the office and get on the streetcar, work ends whenever your boss stops texting you or slacking you. Yeah. For the night, right? So, yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing. And everyone is sensitive to a degree. It's just like any other personality trait. It's a continuum. Most people are in the middle. They're average. Some people are low and about 30% of people score high for sensitivity, both men and women. And that means that maybe the sensitive people are the first ones to feel it. Maybe we're more Mm -hmm. prone to overstimulation when too much is being demanded of all of us. Uh, But in a sense, we're the canaries in the coal mine, right? Because Mm -hmm. everyone will burn out if we keep piling things on. Mm. And and I'm I'm even thinking about um, the fact that as the speed continues to go up, the threshold is going to be increased. So more and more people are going to be feeling a high grade of sensitivity because right. the, the pace of life means that more people are actually beyond the threshold of what they can. Because it feels like that identification with sensitivity is going to be very 
dependent on the level of inputs and stimuli. Um, yeah, everybody's going to be sensitive to a you know seventy degrees centigrade you know temperature water. Not everybody's going to be sensitive to thirty. So the, the the numbers are going to increase as we go as we go going to increase as we go higher, and as the pace of life increases, then that's going to be the case. It feels it seems to me that as we do go at this greater pace, even if someone doesn't necessarily identify as being sensitive now, understanding these strategies and understanding, and and I love the way you're bringing this forward, what it is to be sensitive mm-hmm. in terms of hey, I process more information and I experience more information. It's just going to be a great thing for more people to know, not only because the third of your people, the people in your life are going to be subject to this, but as we speed up, you may be one of those 30% in the future too, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, so we've got little Andre who is, uh, you know, dealing with all of the sensitivity at school. And was there a, was there a, a point where you're like, I need to take care of this? Or was there a, a chance meeting? Like what was the transition into I'm Andre, the sensitive person who understands I'm sensitive, and mm-hmm. I'm on a journey now to actually understand my sensitivity. Right. Yeah. That's. Uh, I love that question. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was a wild journey. So I would say that through all of my my teenage years, right, I mm-hmm. I knew that I I didn't I don't think I would have used the word sensitive about myself, but I mm-hmm. knew that that was there, and I was trying so hard to hide it, right, because mm-hmm. there's a stigma attached to being sensitive, and it's mm-hmm. it's different men and women. I think men are generally told just not to be sensitive at all. And mm-hmm. women are often told, don't be so sensitive. So sensitive. Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't be so sensitive is a phrase we could, we could retire from the English language. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's different for men and women, but I definitely got the message that your sensitivity is not welcomed and, and, you know, get rid of it. Now, if you're sensitive, it's largely biological, it's largely genetic. So you can't actually stop being sensitive. And if you try, you're just going to kind of cut yourself off from a lot of your strengths and and sort of not even understand why you feel the way you feel. So that's pretty much what I did. I tried to act as tough as possible and, and you know, just be this like kind of tough, uh, independent person. Um, and it didn't work. It wasn't me. Right. So it's just like more. uh Maybe once again, sort of felt like the little kid hiding in the in the sewer, even though I was actually, you know, heading toward adulthood at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually in my early 20s, at first, it became an intentional thing, right? First, I was really exploring um, my sense of empathy and, and being more comfortable with the strong emotions that I had. And over time, I began to start getting interested in, in the science of personality. And it was the, my, separately from being a sensitive person, I'm an introvert. So studying introversion was sort of the inroad where I began to really explore and understand myself and how my mind works. And it was when I uh, first started working with my now co-author, Jen Graneman. Um, we were originally working on uh, stuff related to introverts together. But when we started getting into the research on highly sensitive people, uh, and Jen already knew she was highly sensitive. She's known that for a long time. And I would never have used that word about myself. And I started reading with research and was like, well, okay, I checked that box. I checked that box. I checked that box. Wow. You know? And suddenly I, I understood this part of myself and it's just, you know, been ever since. Mm. Do you feel, and, and I, I mean, I'm, I consider myself to be an extrovert, introverted extrovert. Yeah. Is that, perfect. Is that yeah. the way? Yeah. And uh, um, so I can, you know, I can be with people, but not for long periods of time. And then I need to, you know, come back to my cave and, and, and recalibrate. 
I have often wondered, is that because I learned to be that way because I was being overstimulated in the mainstream world, my, ner- my nervous system couldn't handle it, and therefore I needed that introverted time. Do you feel from your research and from your personal experience that perhaps the introversion that you identify with was linked to some kind of coping mechanism to deal with the sensitivity or do they feel separate for you? Right. So that's a great question. So uh, sensitivity and introversion or extroversion are, we, we definitely know that they're two separate things, two separate traits. Mm-hmm. kind of measure two different things. Mm-hmm. So when we think about being an introvert or an extrovert, we're sort of speaking of a social orientation where an introvert is going to get their energy from alone time, quiet time. Yeah. And uh, an extrovert is going to get their energy from being around people. So it's about your orientation to social situations. Mm. Um, For sensitivity, what we're really measuring is an orientation to your environment. Mm. More sensitive, you're going to do best in a calm environment, whether it has people in it or not. Mm -hmm. And struggle in a really fast paced or loud or frantic. Yeah, the more frantic it is, the harder it'll be for you because it's more information coming into process. so what we see is, uh, you know, just by the numbers, there, there is some lean toward, you know, on, on average, uh, highly sensitive people are more likely to be introverts, but a good chunk of them are extroverts. And what that might look like if you're a highly sensitive extrovert is you love people, you get your energy from people just like any other extrovert, but you're probably not going to be doing the kinds of activities a less sensitive extrovert would do. So maybe instead of going to a networking event where there's 200 people in a big convention space, which is going to be an overstimulation nightmare, you might be really focused on setting up one-on-one meetings or getting mm-hmm. together with you know, two or three or four friends in a quiet restaurant rather than a crowded bar where you can mm-hmm. have a real conversation and engage more deeply. And that's mm-hmm. a very activity, but it's also not overstimulating. Got it. Got it. So sensitivity is about our relationship to environment. Introversion is our relationship to others or groups of people. Kind of. Am I? Yeah. On the right. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love that. Love right. that. Um, I'm going to start diving into some of these strategies uh, uh, and perhaps maybe starting with if somebody's listening to this and they're wondering, hey, how do I know if like what are some ways that I can check off and start to explore whether I'm one of that 30% that are perhaps a little bit more sensitive. Just some checkboxes that people could look to explore a little deeper and, and maybe do some more research for themselves. Absolutely. So we do have a test on our website, Sensitive oh, Refuge, take if you want to find out. Um, but there are certain signs that I think, out of the many, out of the many signs that would be on that test, uh, there's mm-hmm. certain ones I think are most prominent. And they're, some of them are very different from others, right? Mm. So I think one very important one is if you... Are if you know that your environment affects you, um, that could be different for different people. For me, it means I have to have natural light around me while I work. I think that's helpful for a lot of people. But I think as a highly sensitive person, I have a hard time focusing at all if there's no natural light. Hmm. Um, that's just a thing for me. Uh, for a different sensitive person, it might be about, you know, I have to have total quiet or else put on a, a white noise app while I focus. Or I need to have, you know, pictures of my family or little pictures of art around me to keep the beauty around me. Or, you know, I'm very sensitive to the fabric, uh, texture of my fabric. Um, a lot of people, if, if you think of as a child, if you had um, maybe if you were picky about the clothing because of the, the texture of the clothing, that might be a sign. So any form of that sort of physical sensitivity where you know your environment affects you. That's a big one. Um, another one, and not every sensitive person experiences all of these to the same degree, right? Another one would be, 
uh, if you have a high sense of empathy, and I think for a lot of uh, male sensitive people, we don't even think of it that way. I'm not sure I would have used that word about myself at a younger point in my life. Um, so you might know you're very empathetic, but you might also think of it this way. I'm great at reading people. I can tell mm -hmm. what they're what they really want. And mm -hmm. I can walk into the room and read their room. Probably a lot of great salespeople uh, are sensitive, highly sensitive, whether they realize it or not. And probably a lot of them wouldn't say they are. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have that knack for just reading people and their intentions, that's a big sign. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think an aesthetic sensitivity would be a big thing. So if you find yourself really moved by art or music or film, and everybody loves those things to a degree, but if you find yourself emotionally moved when you hear certain songs or when you see certain pieces of artwork, uh, and especially if you sort of need to have a certain amount of that around you, right? Um, that's another big sign you're sensitive. But I think maybe the last one I'll give for now is just um, more of an internal thing. Sensitive people, we don't always have the word for it, but we know we're processing things very deeply. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I will tell myself I'm overthinking things. And sometimes I am, right? You can fall into that trap. But I think sensitive people in general, we think longer about things. We think through more of the details of things. You know, I will check a lot more different uh, websites to research something before I commit to a purchase or a trip or whatever else it might be. Um, if you're a deep thinker or if you sometimes get called an overthinker, there's a pretty high chance you're a sensitive person. That's some, some great tips there. And, uh, uh, and I, 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 everyone is listening or the listener, I hope that you're taking notes and you're pausing and, and reflecting on some of these questions and maybe starting to bring these into your own life. Um, one thing that actually came up for me as you were speaking there is, are these traits that can be trained, can we become more sensitive or is it a purely naturally occurring uh, physiological response to your environment? This is the, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that before. I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the answer, as with a lot of things related to genes, the answer is yes and no. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to I think for starters, I would say that everyone is sensitive to a degree. And even if you're only average or maybe even low sensitivity, uh, just kind of by your genes and your upbringing, uh, if you work on embracing your sensitive side, you can access the gifts that sensitive people have. And that might mean things like, um, you know, I've, I think I've already made up my mind on this, but I'm not. I'm going to I'm going to intentionally take an extra day, sleep on it and keep an open mind. And then tomorrow I'll finalize that decision. Right. So you're kind of making yourself do that little bit of extra deep processing that maybe you would skip over normally. So there are ways that you can embrace it and kind of cultivate it more. Um, and that's uh, it all really comes down to accepting and embracing that part of yourself. But in general, um, how sensitive a person is, is largely genetic. And the research actually says it's 50-50. I think it's a 51%, 49% split on how much comes from genes and how much comes from your upbringing. And we know that because of twin studies where both people have the same genes. They both have the same you know, sensitivity as predicted by their, by their DNA, um, but they grow up differently. And so how do they score on a sensitivity test and why is the score different? So we know how much of that difference comes on average from life experience rather than um, genes. But even with that, um, the way it works is your genes determine sort of what ballpark you're going to be in, right? If you're in the highly sensitive ballpark, you're probably going to err on the side of high sensitivity for your whole life, even mm -hmm. if your genes kind of bring you a little bit closer to average or maybe just into the average range. And same thing with any other ballpark, right? 
Um, but then your life experience helps shape that. And it's interesting because people become more sensitive in two types of situations, especially as children, but to some degree, even as adults. The best and the worst situations. <laughs> That's where it pays off the most. Because mm. you're uh, in, an in an environment where there's just lots of nourishment, lots of resources, lots of support being offered to you of all kinds, career support, love and encouragement, whatever it might be. If that's all around you, your body says, hey, maybe we should be more sensitive and just gobble up as much of this as possible. <laughs> but if you're in a really traumatic or abusive environment, your body has maybe a similar response for the opposite reason. Wow, there's a lot of threats here. Maybe we should become more sensitive so that we see every tiny clue as to the next threat. We need to stay safe. Yeah. So it's like an alertness mm. thing. Now, mm -hmm. with that said, the majority of sensitive people, like the majority of all of us, grow up in environments that are neither of those extremes. We have in average middle. the road environments and mm -hmm. you can be sensitive just from your genes based on that as well. Hmm. Wow. Because I'm just wondering, and I, I want to dive into this next about, you know, some of the strategies to deal with sensitivity. Um, whether those strategies are reducing the level of sensitivity or simply enhancing the capacity to deal with it. So I'll, I'll, I'm interested to see what you have to say about that. Because again, even going back to me with, with my social anxiety, um, I simply, simply, it was a matter of finding out what the strengths were and then finding those strengths in order to find out the best solution to deal with the anxiety. And it turned out I can learn things that are systemized. So I went and learned social dynamics so that I didn't have the anxiety in social situations because I had frameworks to deal with it. So it's not that my nervous system has got stronger or there's any less stimulus. Oh, my relationship to or the, the interface with it shifted. So with that being said, when you are supporting people who have more heightened sen sensitivity, you know, what types of strategies are you giving them, them to deal with this fast paced world, this ever increasingly stimulating world? Right. So there's two things that are probably the biggest things a sensitive person can do. The first one is to embrace your sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Your sensitivity is on the balance a strength. It's not something that inherently needs to be coped with or overcome. It's something that actually gives you an advantage if you embrace it. And as if you're hiding your sensitivity or downplaying it, you can't tap into those gifts and you won't have the tools you need to manage when you do get overloaded. Uh, so the first thing is just to embrace your sensitivity and you can talk about it openly. If you can get to the point where you can talk about it openly first with friends and just say, you know, I've learned I'm a highly sensitive person, you know, and maybe they'll have a conversation with you about what that means. And maybe they didn't know that. Right. Or maybe as happened with me, people are like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, what? How did, I didn't know. You know, that's a fun conversation to have. And it gets you used to just saying openly that you're a sensitive mm -hmm. person. Um, but a great phrase to use, right, to start bringing this strength out in the workplace, as well as um, starting to uh, build the tools you need to avoid overload, is you can say to your supervisor or your manager, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a very sensitive person, or, or you can just say, I'm very sensitive to my environment. And mm -hmm. that means that I do my best work when I'm able to focus without distractions. Mm -hmm. uh, what are some good times during the week that I could schedule two hour blocks to work with my email and my notifications and everything else turned off and just be kind of like focused. Mm. And that's a reasonable thing to say. This is not, you know, uh, asking for the the moon here. This is no no moon no moon involved. No, yeah. no moon. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So not only reasonable, but also it's focused on I'll do better work. 
And most supervisors want to support that, or at least good supervisors want to support that. So you can start talking about it openly. But the second thing is, as sensitive people, we have to curate our own environment. As children, we don't get to control our environment. The kind of parents you had, the kind of family you had, that's not in your hands. But as adults, we do get to control our environment. And we know from the research that your environment continues to affect you strongly throughout your life as a sensitive person. It's not set in stone as a child. So what you need to do is build space into your life. Space where your mind gets to just spend time processing and just catch up. It's like, oh, I had all these things happen today. I had all these projects. I had this you know, tense situation with my boss. I had you know, a crisis with my partner, whatever else it might be. You're going to need 40 minutes, an hour, whatever it might be, to just let your mind run and start sorting through all that and do the deep thinking that it does for each piece of that and the deep feeling that it does, like process those feelings that are coming up. And you can do that by uh, scheduling time, you know, that's in your that's in your day, that's scheduled in your planner every day after work. You know, from this time to this time, that's when I sit in my little room or in my favorite armchair or whatever it might be. And I'm just going to listen to music or I'm just going to do my meditation. Or I'm just going to journal or whatever your particular tool is. But the point is, you're not planning activities. You're telling your roommate or your spouse or your family, like, I need this time to just not be disrupted. Uh, and you're going to let your mind just run and do its own thing. And the less you can force it to do, like, you know, a bunch of structured uh, visualizations might, you know, maybe like one at the beginning to help calm down. Great. But then just let your mind run and do its thing and just ponder. Um, so that's helpful. You can do that for your morning routine. Uh, if you're a morning person, which I'm not, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I'm going to do it at 4 a.m. Uh, but, uh, you can also try, try to find ways to work it in smaller chunks into your day. I mean, just deciding my lunch break, um, I always take 10 minutes to go be alone in XYZ place, in my car, in, in the bathroom, on a walk outside, whatever it might be. Those tiny little bites of just quiet and letting your brain run are going to pay off eventually. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Andre, if there was a top tip that you would give to someone who's listening to this conversation and they're like, do you know what? I'm pretty sure I'm one of those 30% uh, and I'd like to be able to start bringing some peace and refuge into my life as a sensitive person today. What's the top tip that you would give them on the way to going to get the book, on the way to heading over to the website, on the way to tapping into those resources? Something that they can just bring in right now and start feeding some, some, some refuge in their life. Absolutely. If you're a sensitive person, you have one advantage that no one else has. It's what my co-author and I call the boost effect. Hmm. The boost effect is the opposite of being susceptible or vulnerable, right? So when we think of somebody who is um, in a vulnerable situation, it means something bad is happening to them. And because they're vulnerable, it's going to hit them worse than other people. What's the opposite of that? What's the word for being in a situation that would help anyone? It would give everyone a little boost, but it's going to help you even more. Turns out the word is sensitive. <laughs> and what I mean by that is for little kids, we see this across life. We see this study after study after study. You get more out of the good things that would boost anyone. Little kids who um, you know, have a, a healthy home environment, that helps any child get better grades. For a sensitive person, it makes them the, the top of their class, right? Uh, teenagers struggling with depression, give them therapy that's on the average going to help most teens. Sensitive people, it turns out they fully overcome their depression when they get the therapy and stay depression-free for longer. Wow. Adults, uh, a huge study done with hundreds of couples were on the brink of divorce. Everybody was given the same 
uh, marriage training by couples therapists. It's proven to work on average. Um, and it did. It worked about as well as it's expected to. And then they did a personality assessment on all the people and all the couples. And it turns out that the people who were highly sensitive saved their marriages more often hmm. because they got that intervention. So when you apply that to the adult world, if you think about, can I get career training? Can I go look for a mentor? Do I want to join a mastermind group? What are my friends like? Are they like kind of kind of catty or are they really truly with all their hearts supporting me? Do they encourage what I do? Um, do I need to start looking for different friends or cutting some people mm -hmm. out of my life, right? All the things that would help any person. Having a supportive friend group that helps anyone and it bumps you a little bit, but if you're sensitive, it just takes you up so high. Uh, so you're walking around with a rocket engine strapped to your back. And the only thing you have to do to ignite it is to start to take control of your environment, lead with your sensitivity, and put those sources of support in your life. Amazing. Andre, you're an absolute rock star. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for moving beyond the sewage pipe and into this work that you're sharing the world. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You could have just, because the thing is, you could have just stayed in the sewage pipe. You could have had a victim mentality. You could have just stayed down. You could have, but you didn't. You looked into the lion's mouth, the, 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 the lion's mouth of everything that was going on for you. And even then you could have kept it to yourself, but you haven't. You're making an impact in the world. So I, on behalf of all of us, would like to express my thanks to you and your co-author for putting together this book and to doing this work. Awesome. Thank you. Most welcome. Guys, um, we've, touch on a few different aspects of empathy or sensitivity of superpowers uh, of, 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 of taking care of yourself just now Andre spoke about curating your environment you guys hear me talking about that all the time and making sure that the people in your life the people places and things in your life are supporting you at the highest level play this back share it with a friend who do you know that you Andre's friends knew he was sensitive before he did who in your life is a sensitive person whose life that you could impact change and uplift by introducing them to this episode. Go ahead and do that. Make sure you rate and view will mean the world to me. Until next time, keep dreaming with your eyes open. Remember, you can consciously choose a more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven life, sensitive or not. All the best and bye for now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Do It With Dan with your host, Daniel McGenna. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit dmpotv.com. We'll catch you on the next episode of Do It With Dan.